Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. Hebrews started a new series last Sunday, the book of Hebrews, 19th book of the Bible, 13 chapters, bit of a pastor joke for you. You can't help but drink your favorite coffee while reading Hebrews, right? You just can't help it. So grab a blanket, cozy up in your favorite chair, open the book of Hebrews on your Bible app or your paper Bible, whatever you use. Drink coffee while reading Hebrews. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a brief update for those of you who happened to be away last Sunday. Uh, Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anybody know? Nobody knows. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say Paul. Some people say Barnabas. Others say Apollos. Uh, What we know is that it's firmly rooted in the teachings of the apostles. It was somebody close to the people who spent the most time with Jesus. Uh, Whoever wrote it had a very deep, profound, rich understanding of who Jesus is. As for the audience, uh, it's a Jewish audience. The book is called Hebrews. Hebrews is another word to describe the people of Israel. Um, It's also a book that is richly packed with Old Testament references, which again kind of gives a nod to the audience. It talks about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel. It talks about Moses leading Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Nick was singing a new song about that this morning, about coming out into the promised land. It references the journey to Mount Sinai where Israel, the Hebrews, received the books of the Bible, the Torah, and made a covenant with the Lord. It talks about the building of the tabernacle and the priests who offered sacrifices and the people who wandered the wilderness and eventually went into the promised land. In every single one of these 13 chapters, it's a message about Jesus. It's it's a message about the superiority of the covenant of salvation that God accomplished through Christ. And so two main goals of Hebrews, Jesus is superior to anyone and anything else. Goal number one. Goal number two, followers of Jesus need to remain faithful to Jesus, firmly rooted in Jesus. And that's not just an encouragement to, you know, those first century Christians. It's an encouragement to you and I today in 2023. Um, As for the context of the book, kind of similar to the end of Acts, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is dominant, powerful. This is 35 to 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of ethnically Jewish people discovering Jesus as Messiah. And not only Jews, but the book of Acts the series we just finished, and now this one as well, describes Gentiles, uh, pagan, non-Jewish people walking away from their idols, walking away from the temples of their previous gods, and declaring that Jesus is Lord and King. Now, um, it came with problems. Sometimes following Jesus doesn't make everything perfect instantaneously. It's not like that. But the writer is addressing a community of Christians who are being persecuted. They're being severely oppressed on all sides. And by the decree of Emperor Nero, Christians were persecuted across the Roman Empire, and some of them were walking away. Some of them were walking away from Jesus. And so this is a letter to Christians saying, keep going, 
press on. There's pressure, we know, to return to the synagogue, to return, return to pagan temples. Instead of filling this letter with like fluffy, feel-good, worldly words, the author of Hebrews goes straight to theology, and he reminds his readers, this is who God is. This is the truth that you can hang on to. This is the hope that is secure. It is solid. God says Jesus is enough. And when you're in trouble, when you are looking for something strong to hold on to, that's the truth for you too. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Pastor Greg read Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It's an anchor for every chapter to come in the book of Hebrews. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. I love these next couple verses. They're just beautiful. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I think the first service kind of caught this same emphasis and this same passion from me this morning. But even in writing this message, I was just praying continually, God, that this church would catch a revelation of how great Jesus is. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. You got to love those metaphors, hey? They're amazing. They're awesome. Jesus is like the rays of light to the sun, the radiance of God's glory. He's the wax impression to the signet ring that is on Father God's finger, perfectly representing God's nature and identity. Now, to begin with a bit of story, when I was 18 years old, um, I was already a Christian. I was one of those kids that was born and raised in church. I accepted the Lord when I was four years old, on my knees, next to my bunk bed, with my mom, um, born in a Christian home. But up until I was 18, I related to Jesus mostly as a man in a robe with long flowing hair. That's kind of how I related to Jesus. And when I was 18, I'd already graduated high school, I remember where I was. Some of you have stories like that of when you got saved or when you recommitted your life to God or where you felt that God baptized you in His Holy Spirit. And you, you remember where you were. I remember I was standing in the hot tub room at our farm and it's got this beautiful cedar roof and so I could smell the cedar and I could smell the humidity of the hot tub. And my mom and I were having this really profound conversation about God's grace and about the person of Jesus Christ. And it was just, I was wrestling with it, almost physically. I was like, something's missing. Something is just missing. I feel like there's more to who Jesus is. It wasn't something I could learn on my own. It was a revelation, and a revelation is a truth revealed by God. It's not something that you can read in a book. It's not something that you find on the internet and you go, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. That's why all those Christians worship Jesus every Sunday. That's why they raise their hands. Why? That's why they're shouting. That's why they're passionate and they're crying. A revelation is more. Where you just know that you know that you know that what you've experienced is true and right. And I prayed to God 
you know, it was one of those like snot moments, you know, and crying and whatnot. And my mom's laying her hands on me and we're crying together. And I was just like, God, help me to see Jesus. And it's like the clouds cleared and a fog was lifted. This morning when we drove to the church, we couldn't even see the church. It was so foggy. But the fog lifted. And I knew that Jesus was more than I had ever known. And in the coming weeks, I was drawn to scriptures like John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And it's like a light went on. I never knew that Jesus was there as a member of the Trinity of God and that he made the universe. I never knew that Jesus was the glue that held the cosmos together. And all at the same time, he's God Emmanuel. He's God with us. After the first service, somebody shared with me that a revelation A difference between like information and revelation is like, you know, you have the light bulb. You have the light bulb, and so you you know it works, you know it's there. A revelation is when the Holy Spirit comes and you know, twists that thing and boom, the light goes on. Some of you have the light bulb this morning. Some of you, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit comes and just turns that thing and whoa! Light! Jesus is with you. He is intimately familiar with you. He became a human being to identify with you. The Bible describes him as the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully human to represent you, fully God to deliver you. And that's a revelation. That's a direct download from God's Spirit that you need today. And so my message is called, We See Jesus. It's based on verse 9 of the text that we're gonna read today. So Hebrews chapter two, um, three points that I'll go through today. We need to see Jesus as greater than idolatry, intimately familiar with humanity, and preeminent in deity. Praise God, hallelujah. Why don't I pray for you? Because the Holy Spirit's gotta do the work more than Pastor Peter this morning, so. Thank you, Lord. God, I just pray for each and every person in this room, those watching online as well. God, some of them have the light bulb, and we need your spirit to come and turn it on. Spirit, would you come and do what I can't do? Would you share more than the words that are coming from my mouth today? Would you download your word revelation of Christ deep into the spirits of those who are listening to this message today. And everybody said? Amen. How'd you like that song we sang today? Christ is my firm foundation. And man, you were singing it with some real vim and vigor this morning. Good on you. The rock on which we stand. When everything around is shaking, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 the first four verses. It says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. 
God also testified to it with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, some of this takes us back to the first chapter, which Pastor Greg touched on last week. There's a section in the first chapter that emphasizes that Jesus is greater than angels. And that's kind of coming in a little bit into this chapter as well. Why are we talking about angels? In the first century, some Christians were very tempted to worship angels. And in their minds, no human savior could be as great as one of these powerful spiritual beings. Now, angels are pretty awesome. Angels are amazing. Angels delivered the Old Testament law to the Old Testament writers. Deuteronomy 33 talks about that. Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Paul reemphasizes that. Uh, and beyond that, we just look at the narrative of Scripture. The Old Testament is packed with stories, and the New Testament as well, of people who had angel encounters in dreams and visions and in real life. And, and those moments shaped their destiny and set their direction. Angels are amazing, they're powerful, they're wonderful. But we need to be reminded that they're God's attendants. They're God's servants. Very often, people would try to worship angels. Pretty powerful, significant spiritual moment where a big angel shows up beaming with light and people would fall to their faces and want to worship angels. Many times throughout Scripture, the angels would say, stand up, stop it. (laughs) Why are you worshiping me? We're both servants of the Most High God. Now, we might not feel the same temptation today to worship angels. I mean, maybe some people do. They have, they're obsessed with angels. But many of us are tempted to see Jesus as secondary, a secondary solution to our problems. And when we're in trouble and we're struggling and there's trial and tribulation and tests like the people of Hebrews, we're tempted to turn away from God and look to idols. Now, whenever I say idols, I feel like it's, a, it's an ancient expression. It's an ancient word. Today, it's not necessarily a statue that we burn incense to. It's not, you know, a wood thing that we bow down in front of and we pray to. That's an ancient expression. But in our modern context, our work, our music, our money, our status, uh, our children, our spouse, all of these things can become idols in our world. And again, the message delivered to the people in the Bible, it was a good message. Angels are amazing. They're angelic messengers. They served a purpose. But the writer is saying that anything that takes the place of God as the most important thing in our lives easily can become an idol. It can become a distraction. And so my first thought for you today is that we need to see Jesus as greater than idolatry. He's so much greater than the things that we learn to depend on. We naturally start leaning on the things of this life for comfort, for strength. But Jesus is greater. And I want you to consider this question. Are there good things that you're tempted to treat as God things? What are the good things that you're tempted to treat as God things? You see, when you consider something good, you pay attention to it. It captivates your attention. You focus on it. You don't neglect it. When you don't consider something good, you leave it to convenience rather than to commitment, right? If you neglect something, it's probably not all that good. 
<laughs> you take it or leave it. All of us can find good things in a career, in a contract that brings us money, in interactions and attention that we receive from other people. We can find good things happening in our families, with our children. Those things fuel me. They make me excited. I love my kids. I love my bride. I love my calling as a pastor. I'm so excited about it. But none of those things are as great as Jesus. None of those things are as superior in my life to who the Son of God is in my life. They won't produce ultimate fulfillment for me. The writer of Hebrews is saying, man, you guys pay attention to angels. You talk about angels. You're obsessed with angels. You're dreaming about angels. Oh, what the angels delivered in the Old Testament. These heavenly messengers captivate your attention, but angels are secondary to Christ. Angels are secondary. Jesus is a part of your life now. He brought a better word. He needs to be first. And heaven's coming, church. Heaven is coming. One day we're going to be personally held accountable for what we did with this knowledge. Did you place your hope in something else? Was your hope anchored to somebody else? Or did you give God your first and your best and your everything? Verse 4 says that the word brought by Jesus was greater and it was authenticated by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of those things were God saying again and again and again to the biblical writers, Jesus is more, Jesus is better. And I just pray that the evidence and the overflow of the Holy Spirit begins taking over your life as you comprehend Jesus. If you were honest, Maybe you're still in that head knowledge place. How many of you know there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge? Some people totally misunderstand and misrepresent and they can't really attain to Christianity because it's kind of just knocked them on the forehead. That's about it. It's kind of knocked them on the forehead, but it hasn't like gone right down to their heart and is permeating every fiber of their being. There's information, but there's not yet transformation. But you can pray and ask the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would do that today through this message. And, and I'm believing that some of you are going to do that this week, that you're going to go home and just like me on my farm when I was 18 years old, say, Jesus, you are more. Jesus, you are greater. Jesus, I just worship what you, you. Would you show me more of who you are? The analogy I gave in the first service wasn't even in my notes. It just kind of came to me, was of a sponge. You know a sponge that you leave in your closet, custodial cleaning closet, whatever, for weeks and weeks and weeks and months, it becomes dry and hard, hard little rock sponge. But when you take that sponge and you immerse it in hot, soapy water, it even takes a moment for that sponge, the edges to soften. And then the water begins soaking into that sponge and it becomes soft and usable again. And I pray that so many of you would do that with your revelation of Christ this morning. That if you feel hard, there's hard ground, there's a hard sponge. Would you just immerse yourself in worship, in the word, in prayer, in Christian community, in all the things that are offered to you and that God would just soak you and warm you up with that revelation. Now, here's a sobering reality for us. The good things we allow to become God things, they'll only take us so far. You won't get very far 
on the good things that you become, that you allow to become God things. The perfect relationship isn't so perfect anymore. It's why people struggle so much with their spouse or with their partner. The kids that you call angels, man, they're not angelic sometimes. <laughs> they're little angels. Yeah, sometimes. Um, you lose your job and the money runs out. The new vehicle that you just bought broke down. You got to take it back to the dealer. The self-help book, you thought, this is it. This is going to change everything. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I've realized, and maybe you have too, maybe you're thinking about specific people right now that you're like, I'm ex- I've extended the gospel message, the good news of Jesus so many times, they're not getting it. If people are riding a high of some form of knowledge or success, they can ride that high for so long. Every single one of us reaches the end of our lives. Every single one of us needs to encounter death Every single one of us needs to come face-to-face and will come face-to-face with Christ. Any idol that we place on a pedestal will eventually bring us down a road of chaos and dysfunction. Idols provide empty promises. The message of Hebrews, Jesus is greater. Jesus is more. You need to have that revelation of Christ. My second thought for you today is that we need to see Jesus as intimately familiar with humanity. My wife is, um, she's reading a book about heaven right now, and there are all these people that had near-death experiences, and they describe Jesus, and they say, he is, he's, mm, you can't even put it into words, he's more human than we are. He's like God's perfect description, example, expression of what it is to be human. He's so compassionate. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's so gracious the way he embraces you. He's like no other God, church. He embraced us because he became just like us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, it says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. There is a place where someone has testified, and here the author quotes Psalm 8. He says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor, and you put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, that is under the subjection of human beings, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, verse 9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, he became a human being, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everybody, for all of us. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom everything and whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered." So again, I'm building a case for you here, church. Chapter 1 really emphasizes the deity of Christ, the radiance of God's glory, the signet ring, the exact expression of God's nature, sustaining all things by His Word. God, the Father, in chapter 1, speaks of Jesus, and He says, you are my Son. 
I am your father. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? None of them. God issues a command and he says, let all the angels worship him. He says about Jesus, your throne, O God, will last forever, the deity of Christ. But Hebrews 2 focuses on his humanity. There's a mystery that angels marvel at. They marvel at this mystery. Does anybody know what it is? It's that God gave human beings authority. God gave human beings dominion. The text said God put all things, not some things, all things under the subjection of men and women. How many of you say that's a big responsibility? That's a really, really big responsibility. Have any of you caught on to the reality that human beings are not good with their authority? (laughs) Anyone? Human beings are not good with their dominion. (laughs) Whether on a micro, a very small level, or a macro, huge level, dominion and authority, management is difficult. We were having a laugh in the first service. I have a hard enough time putting my shirt on, not inside out. You ever, has that ever happened to you? Be honest. Lift up your hand. Where you get home after eight hours of work, yeah, and you're like, my shirt's inside out. Why didn't anybody tell me my shirt's inside out? You know? It's happened to me. Happened to my wife the other day. I don't know if she's out watching, but. (laughs) You know, I have a hard time not dripping ketchup and mustard when I'm eating a hot dog. It's a hard job. It's tough, you know? I don't wear white t-shirts because it's just a matter of minutes and it's like, oh, usually it's my kids, you know, drooling on me. Those things are small, but then people are called to things much greater. People are called to manage resources to ensure that eight billion people have food and water and shelter and health care. Human beings are supposed to have governments and economies that serve and are not selfishly driven. Our text said in verse 8, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. And yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Can I get a no kidding? No kidding, pastor. Preach it. Just watch YouTube for a little while. Get on YouTube, rumors of wars, wars, famine, disease, conspiracy theories, people completely losing their heads. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Unhealth, mismanagement, messy people were not good at exercising authority. Verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. You need to see Jesus. I need to see Jesus. God became a human being. This is just the pure gospel coming at you right now in the person of Jesus Christ because God gave authority to human beings. God put himself personally in flesh and blood to exercise perfect authority and dominion. And man, look at the stories of Jesus. Can you imagine living with him for three years, walking the roads? We get a little glimpse of it in the Bible, healing people, body, soul, and spirit. See the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he did. See the way that he served. See the way that he helped. Wow. 
See how his life became and remains to this day a shining example of God's intention for humanity. We were, I think it's in the Alpha Course, where it says even secular people agree that nobody has been able to build on and improve on the morality and the ethics of Jesus Christ. No one. I mean, who says things like, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, do good to those who persecute you, pray for them. Jesus is, it's my next point, preeminent, outstanding, superior, the best in every way. But beyond that, his life is also a sacrifice for sin. There's an enemy in this world, church. We call him the devil. There is evil at work in this world, and the devil knows that God is holy. The devil knows that imperfect, unholy, sinful, selfish people cannot enjoy heaven because God is so good, God is so perfect that he will not abide with and share his glory with sin. And the devil knows that no person who has a self-indulgent nature, it's one of my favorite definitions of sin, it's an acronym, self-indulgent nature. You have one, I have one, my kids have one, we all have one. No fallen person entwined in sin can abide with God forever. But this is the gospel. God sent his son who was perfect to live a perfect life for imperfect people so that we could be made perfect for eternity with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Come on now. The devil knows God's standard. He knows that the wages of sin is death, and every person inheriting the sin of humanity, of Adam, deserves death. We deserve eternal damnation. But God didn't only come to show us an example of better humanity. He came as the sacrifice. Hebrews goes on and talks about this. It talks about Jesus as our great high priest, as the the sacrificial lamb. The devil thought that he won. He thought he extinguished the light of heaven. But it was always God's plan to defeat death and to raise Jesus to life and to raise you and I with him. History records over 500 witnesses verify that they saw the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. How do you stop that gospel message from spreading at that time in history? No kidding, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved. When I put my faith in Jesus, God doesn't see me with my shirt inside out. God doesn't see me with ketchup dripping down my chin. God doesn't see me as the mess up and the screw up that I am sometimes. He looks at me and he sees his son. He sees Jesus. He sees me enfolded in his son. I'm being formed in his image. I'm growing. I'm maturing. I'm learning to exercise right authority because you get that revelation. You get that in your spirit and you start managing your family different, your marriage differently your relationships, your finances, your habits. I mean, it's just like a ripple effect through every fiber of your being. Your thoughts are changing. Your emotions are changing. It's beautiful. It's not something you can do on your own. It's something the Holy Spirit produces in you. How many of you know there are things that we will not understand until we see Jesus in heaven? Not all things are yet subject, is what it says. There's imperfection in our world, in the church, 
I didn't have it in my notes, and I don't even know how it came out in the first service, but I'm going to share the same story again. Um, Many of you know, because so many of you were praying for my family, my extended family this month in September, but uh, my seven-month-old niece died this month. Um, Beautiful baby girl. Her name was Evelyn. Beautiful, giggling little baby was bouncing on my lap just over a week from the time that she passed away. And man, did it hit us hard. She had a heart defect. And we knew that a surgery was coming. We knew that she would have to go for surgery, but we weren't worried about it. Because it has a 97% chance of success, this surgery. And so the time came and she was in the hospital and we have pictures of her and her gown and everything like that. Beautiful baby girl. They had videos of her on the stretcher going down to surgery and everything like that. Surgery went perfectly. It's like she had a new heart. And three days after the surgery, just everything went downhill. And she began shutting down and she died. That was one of the worst days of my life going to the stallery and sitting in a room with her parents and my in-laws and everybody's weeping. And then we all went and we saw her little body. She wasn't there. We knew that she had gone to Jesus. We knew she was in heaven with him. And the temptation in times like that is to say, why? Why, God? Why don't we see everything made right? Why don't we see perfect authority? Why don't Why do people die? Why do little babies die? But the answer to life's most perplexing, challenging questions is not in asking why, it's in asking who. And that is so hard for our minds to understand that we don't get to know the answers to the why, but we have a who. The title of my message, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, we see him, I pray that you will see Jesus today. See him as the one who loves you, the one who died for you. See him as your savior. See him as your master. See him as your friend. See Jesus as your forerunner. See him as your healer. See him not just here on Sundays for half an hour while we sing songs and another hour while we share announcements and preach a message. See him at home. See him when you're teaching your kids their devotions at night, whatever. We have little in common with God. The text said we were made even lower than angels, and yet Jesus overcame the chasm from heaven to earth to be with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We're so grateful, Jesus. And my last point is that we need to see Jesus as preeminent in deity. That word preeminent, it's so good. It means paramount in rank. It means important, dignified, outstanding, superior, the best. And I've been asked so many times, why do I worship Jesus? What makes Jesus different than any other supposed God in the world today that people worship? Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to finish it, and then we'll talk about that. The text gives us a hint, by the way. It says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. 
So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. I tell you, I don't fear death anymore. I don't fear death at all. And even when my little niece passes away, there's such an anchor of hope in that room because everybody believes that she's healthier than she ever was in this life. It says, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's you and me. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I already covered a good part of this. <laughs> In my previous points, Jesus' humanity, his intimate familiarity with flesh and blood. But let me tell you what stood out to me in this text. God calls us family. Don't you just love the name of our church? The Father's House, where the sons and daughters of the Most High God come together and worship the Lord. It says those who are made holy are of the same family. It says Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It says here I am, the children that God has given to me. It says since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity. Marvel with me, church. Wonder, awe. How amazing is it what God has done? I challenge you to find me any other deity who would weep for you. I think about Jesus weeping for his friend Lazarus when Lazarus died. I think about Jesus in the stallery with us weeping as Tyler and Danielle unplugged their little one. Jesus was there. Jesus was weeping. I challenge you to find me a deity who would bleed for you. Ask any other religious person, my God, bled for me and they would be stunned. They would be aghast. They would be astounded. They'd say, no, not God. God would never position himself that way. God, God doesn't bleed for people. You can't confine Jesus to any definition or expression of God simply by the virtue of the embrace that Christ gives us. The Bible says he doesn't just call us servants. He calls us his friends. More than that, he calls us family. Go ahead and try to find any other deity that says, I will share my glory with you. Another definition, another acronym that I really like quite a lot is the word grace. Grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. His riches for you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You know the song. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Find me a deity who would say, I am going back to my father and I'm preparing a place for you. 
so that you can be where I am. Jesus calls you brother. He calls you sister. You are an heir to everything that the Father bestows upon Jesus. It's yours. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to beg and plead and strive for it. You just need to receive it and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you have given to me by your grace. That is why Christianity is better. It's not prideful to say that. Jesus stands apart from every other supposed God, preeminent in deity, embracing you and me. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.